Welcome to the Beyond the Sermon podcast, where we take your questions from Sunday's teachings in order to form a dialogue about the scriptures and what God is teaching each and every one of us. Well, hey, welcome back to the Beyond the Sermon podcast. Today is October 24th, and today we were in Acts chapter 8, looking at verses 3 through 40. Uh, we, we saw Philip, we were introduced to Philip, and we, um, we saw uh, the Ethiopian eunuch get baptized. We had a bunch of baptisms in service here today. And, uh, and so this is the passage that we're talking about, uh, Acts chapter 8, verses 3 through 40. And today on the Beyond the Sermon podcast, I'm joined by uh, Kip Hamby, who is our pastor of outreach. And so, Kip, what is it that you exactly do here? Sure. Uh, what I'm about is uh, overseeing our, our third and fourth place ministries. It it's falls under the big umbrella of serve. Yeah. And so what that means is um, we're wanting to make sure that we reach out to our Samaria, to mm-hmm. our community, and, yeah. and that we're loving people well, serving them in practical ways, yeah. and looking to share the gospels. God opens doors. You know, like Upward Sports would be an example of that. Yeah. And then I oversee our fourth place or our global missions. Yeah. And just leading a very dynamic team and think about, yeah, how can we be a blessing, an mm-hmm. encouragement, a support to our global partners? And at the same time, be encouraging our, our people to be world Christians. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So we get the names third and fourth place through this idea, right? So first place would be ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Leading ourselves in our relationship with Jesus. Second place would be our family, mm-hmm. that, that direct family tie that we have. Third place is then kind of our neighborhoods and our community. And fourth place is the world exactly. at large, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So as you're leading our ministries here that focus on third and fourth place, it's, it's our our Ames, Gilbert, Story County, mm-hmm. uh, even even some national kind of things that go on. And then fourth place is to the ends of the earth. Exactly. Right? And so that all will we'll believe working with our missions partners and staying in touch with them, praying for them, all that kind of stuff. So thanks for, thanks for serving Jesus in that way here at, yeah. at Christ Community. It's a delight. Well, you know, um, I think, you know, Kip, this is a big passage, 40 verses and or so. And we had, you know, today was a shortened sermon because we had baptisms. And those were some awesome stories about how Jesus changes our lives, right? Yeah, they were. And uh, but you you brought up here as we were talking a little bit before we started recording. Uh, there's this really interesting section in the middle about a guy named Simon. And we just didn't have the time to go into it. But as you were thinking about it, yeah, why does Simon stand out to you? Yeah, I think... Uh, one of the things that has intrigued me uh, is the fact that, uh, on one hand, he, he's a magician, and he has this yeah. certain power, and people recognize him, uh, uh, and, and here's maybe more of a question, is, you know, they viewed him as someone having great power. Yeah. And, uh, and yet, of course, uh, the amazing part of the passage is when he watches Philip and the Holy Spirit working through Philip yeah. supernaturally, yeah. He's, in a, he's amazed. Yeah. So it just shows you the uh, superior power of God at work. Yeah. Yeah. No, amen. And I, think it's, I don't think it's unique that, that Simon is, is in Samaria. Right? As we talked in the sermon a little bit, we just briefly hit it here, but there's a 700-year schism between the Samaritans and the historically Jewish Israelite people. And it started way back with King Ahaz. The, the nation of Israel is divided. The Samaria is in the northern kingdom. Ahaz is king of the southern kingdom. Assyria is the big bad bully on the block. Ahaz makes a, a treaty with, with the king of Assyria. 
But that doesn't stop the king of Assyria from invading the northern kingdom. That just stops him from invading the southern kingdom, well, at least for a period of time mm-hmm. from invading as we understand biblical history. Uh, but uh, so so the people of Samaria were, they're historically Jewish, right? They, they are part of the nation of Israel, but when Assyria invades, they are carried away into exile. Uh, a common tactic of the Assyrian Empire is they would invade an area. They would actually, um, they would almost force uh, intermarriage so that uh, so that you'd begin these new families and new identities. Uh, and and they carried people. They, so they'd carry a portion of the population off. They the population that remained, they would force them to to remarry, and then they'd even cart others in from other places of the Assyrian Empire. And so so the people of Samaria, historically Jewish, but now they've for centuries have intermarried. Uh, they've also, well, they were some of the first to be exposed to idol worship as the Assyrians brought their religious practices in. And so it's been, there's been theological confusion. We heard it in John chapter four, right? You know, the woman at the well says to Jesus, your ancestors worship on the mountain in Jerusalem. My ancestors worship on this mountain here in Samaria. Which one is it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so there's this, this deep racial, ethnic, theological schism that's happened for 700 years. And so I think it's it's in that culture of, of, uh, of theological confusion, of not knowing who God truly is, that, that Simon is able to thrive. And so he's performing these magic tricks, he's performing these illusions, and, and these great deeds that people don't know how to explain. And actually, Simon himself, when he says he's filled with great power, it literally means that they believed that he was God, that he was the manifestation of God on earth. And so when Philip shows up and does things that Simon can't do, and then they see Simon, the people of Samaria, see Simon come to faith, even a very immature faith, because we see his conversation with Peter later on where he goes, how do I get more power from God? And Peter rebukes him. And in Simon's defense, we know that he's not going to finish well, but in Simon's defense in that moment, he seems to repent. And when Peter calls him out, he goes, okay, no, 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 I don't want the wrath of God. Please pray that God would mm-hmm. spare me. So there's, Simon has come to a reality that he is not the manifestation of God, that there is a divine being. His name is Yahweh. His name is the one true God, and his, his son Jesus came to save us. Um, now, in church history, a guy named Hippolytus, that's a name and a half. Yes, it is. Right? Kip, if you ever have another child, you should name it Hippolytus. <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to Kippolitis. Yeah. As opposed to Kippolitis. But Hippolytus actually uh, lets us know that, uh, and Irenaeus is also a voice that lets us know about Simon, uh, and Justin the Martyr, who's actually a Samaritan, uh, which is a neat, neat whole, we're going way into church history here that we don't need to go into. But these are three voices that let us know about how Simon finishes. And he doesn't finish well. He doesn't finish faithful. And so that temptation, uh, that draw to earthly power, comes back in his life and he actually makes the proclamation before he dies to his followers that he will be buried and three days again, three days later rise again. He's literally making the claim of Jesus. Well, mm-hmm. we know that that doesn't come true because Hippolytus and Irenaeus and Justin Martyr all tell us that it didn't come true. So we know he doesn't finish well, but there's this really beautiful moment here where uh, this guy who is to be the manifestation of God on earth comes square with reality he is not. And that there is one, and the one that is is more powerful than he could ever imagine. So, which is a really cool, is a really cool moment here in Samaria. But I think Simon thrives because he's in an environment that is deeply theologically confused. Mm-hmm. Um, Samaria has historically forgotten who God is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of thinking that that uh, God is to be worshipped in in Jerusalem at the temple, which we know uh, until Jesus. 
until Jesus came and died, that's where God's presence was manifest. Um, and, and we know that he was with his, with, with his people all out, all throughout the world. But that's, that was the center of worship of Yahweh. That was the center of the worship of, one, of the one true God. And the Samaritans think that it's in Samaria, so they're, they're confused on that. But through Philip's preaching of the gospel and watching Simon believe, uh, Jesus is made clear and it, he transforms lives. And so yeah. the people of Samaria are transformed. Yeah. yeah, I appreciate that insight, Kyle. Uh, it's kind of like one of our folks who were baptized today uh, yeah. quoted Pascal, the idea of that spiritual vacuum. Yeah, right? and that, yeah. That was the kind of place Samaria was. So, yeah, it would yeah. be a breeding ground for all kinds of heresies and yeah. magic yeah. and occult, I'm sure, all that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think even it's even important for us to note that when Jesus arrived on the scene, he's not the first historic uh, Israelite, the historic Hebrew, to claim to be Messiah. <laughs> you know, they had seen false messiahs over and over again. So, um, but especially in Samaria, where, you had, like you said, there's that spiritual vacuum, and they were, they were uh, definitely... Uh, uh, exposed and vulnerable to that, which is actually makes Isaiah's words even more profound, where Isaiah says that to, to Zebulon and Naphtali, a great light will come into the darkness. Zebulon and Naphtali in the northern, northern part of Israel, it's Bethlehem, it's, it's Galilee, it's where Jesus is born, it's where Jesus, well, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, but he lives in Galilee. It's where Jesus will, will proclaim that he is, he is f- the fulfillment of Isaiah, and they chase him out of the, temp- uh, out of the, out of the synagogue and want to throw him off of, off of a mountain. Um, that is the land that was carried away into idolatry under the Assyrians. It was a land of great darkness, great spiritual darkness. And Isaiah's words, the Messiah will come to Zebulun and Naphtali, this land of great darkness, mm-hmm. a great light will be born there. And we hear it in John's words. In John chapter 1, a great light came, uh, and, and it's Jesus. You know, so yeah, amen. Very cool, very cool. Well, Kip, you know, today one of the f- central factors uh, of today, or central parts of our service today, is was that of baptism. And the way that we explain baptism here is that it is a public proclamation or declaration of a private commitment to follow Jesus. And so we had a question that came in, and it's a really good question. It said, "I was baptized as an infant in a Lutheran church. This obviously was the choice of my parents." Uh, is it necessary to be baptized again now that I have made my own choice to follow Jesus? Uh, which is a, a, a really great question. And actually, it's part of your story and part of my story, but we weren't baptized in the Lutheran church. So why don't you, uh, as we answer this question, why don't you unpack your story a little bit and how you process that? Yeah, certainly. Great question. Uh, and I'm, I'm confident a lot of other people were asking the same question, right? Yeah. And so, uh, now for me, uh, I was raised... Uh, there in the Bible Belt, of uh, the Dallas area, Dallas, Texas, yeah. in a Methodist church. And so some of the churches preached the gospel. Honestly, many did not. Yeah. And so like most uh, Methodist children, I was baptized as an infant. Yeah. And, uh, of course, I don't remember a whole lot about that and certainly did have saving <laughs> faith in Christ. Yeah. But uh, later on, as my uh, I came to know Jesus Christ as my, my Lord and Savior my freshman year in college, it was in a Bible preaching Methodist church here in Ames. Yeah. And uh, I understood the scriptures to, to clearly teach that me obeying Christ and believers' baptism yeah. uh, would be pleasing to him or would be a great, like you said, our profession of an inward faith. Yeah. And so in the Methodist church, you don't see too many baptismals, right? No. Uh-uh. Uh, and so that meant uh, because a member of the church had a swimming pool, I got baptized in a swimming pool. Awesome. Yeah. So that was my, uh, uh, like this 
person who asked the question, that was how I wrestled with that. Is, yeah. That was it necessary for my salvation? Certainly not. No, Baptism uh -uh. has nothing to do with our salvation, yeah. but it's a picture of our salvation. Yeah. And I wanted to depict that yeah. for uh, my uh, uh, fellow believers there yeah. uh, at church and for my family. So, yeah, that's what it looked like for me. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, my story is similar to yours, Kip, and similar to this question here is that I grew up Presbyterian. So not Lutheran, not mm -hmm. Methodist, Presbyterian. In the Presbyterian church, it's it's a practice called paedo-baptism or infant baptism. And 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 that that is seen in the scriptures with Cornelius' household. When Cornelius' household gets baptized, we, we make some assumptions that it means and the children. And and there's there's just there's significant cultural differences between the first century and the 21st century. And so I, I think it's it's not a clear, Cornelius's household is not a clear passage for baptism of how we should understand it uh, today in the 21st century because it, it there's just so much that's unspoken there when we look at Cornelius's household. Uh, we know that they come to faith, and we know that their response to coming to faith is baptism, just as we saw today with the people in Samaria and the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Their response to faith is, I now believe in Jesus, so I'm going to, I want to be baptized, right? right. I'm going to publicly declare that inward commitment that has changed my life. And so my, my experience growing up Presbyterian, again, uh, I was baptized as a baby. I don't remember it at all. It's on VHS somewhere. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, uh, but when I was 18 and I was leaving for Bible college, I had felt a call into ministry, uh, called youth ministry at that time. And so I was leaving for Bible college. We were attending a free church in Pittsburgh. We actually met at a YMCA. And so we baptized in the swimming pool sure. right there. And so I remember actually having a conversation with my parents about this. And in the way that I expressed it to my parents, because I was baptized as a baby, there was a little bit of confusion around it. And I said, this is my choice to follow Jesus. I want Jesus to define me. Right. I want to give my whole life to Jesus. And that's what I think that we I think that's what we're supposed to do in baptism. And as an infant, you can't make that choice. So I think I think in infant baptism is probably a better picture of where parents are saying we are going to raise this child yes. faithfully before the Lord. Um, now, theologians disagree and they've had long conversations. But we here at Christ Community believe that the scriptures teach most clearly, as we saw this morning, as a believer, as an adult or a teenager, that, that if, you, if you can articulate the gospel, that you should be baptized because it doesn't save you, it, it, right? Your salvation is already guaranteed right. because God gave it to you and it's his gift to give. And so, yeah, so my story, just like yours, uh, respond to the gospel, call into ministry, felt like, man, this has got to be something that defines me and I, and I wanted to be baptized in that to proclaim that truth. And so... Um, so yeah, so to the person answering uh, this question, if, if you could answer them in, in 30 seconds, what would, you, what would you tell them to do? I would say that uh, don't think of it as a necessity, but mm -hmm. think of it as a, a privilege, an opportunity, yeah. and a sense to preach the gospel Yeah, by your sharing your testimony and it being pictured physically and going to yeah. beneath the water. Coming yeah. out of the water to new life, you know, yeah. sins are forgiven. You're cleansed. Yeah, uh, I'd say go 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 about it for that reason. Yeah, go about it for that reason. And I think here's something else that I've seen over years where I've had students who have come out of Catholic backgrounds or mainline backgrounds, and we always encourage them how to have this conversation with their parents or their family members who are really confused, going, "Why did you need to do this?" And you go, "Well, 
let me tell you the gospel. Because for a lot of folks who are in uh, churches, you know, good, well-meaning churches, but not Bible-teaching, gospel-proclaiming churches, they may never have heard the gospel. Right. And this can be a really, a really neat opportunity with family members to say, you know what? I firmly believe that Jesus is my Savior, and, and what we do in baptism symbolizes yes. that. And so you can let this opportunity be a chance to have those conversations with, with your family members. So, so that's cool, and I love that word that you use. It's not a necessity. Right, baptism is not a necessity; it's a step of obedience. Amen. Yeah, yeah, very good. Well, Kip, there's something else, you know, in this passage. I think there is a, verse 16, as you and I were talking um, a little bit a little bit earlier, and and other conversations that I've had and questions that have come up. There's this uh, there's this question here that we see in Samaria uh, that that Peter and John come from uh, from Jerusalem, which is still like so unheard of. The the apostles have not left Jerusalem yet. They're still camping out. And then as historically Jewish men, they didn't go through Samaria, although they were with Jesus that one day yeah. when he was in Samaria. And uh, so I wonder I wonder if they, when they went back preaching the gospel, if they remembered the towns that they stopped in that people believed. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us that they did, but this is where my storytelling uh-huh. mind goes. Uh, but they come up uh, to Samaria um, and, or as Luke tells us, they went down to Samaria because Jerusalem is higher in elevation and they descended to Samaria, even though Samaria is north of Jerusalem. <laughs> uh, and so with that, there's this whole question about, about the filling of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, as you, as you have experienced the Holy Spirit in your life as a believer, I mean, just, just what are some ways that you've experienced the Holy Spirit or felt the Holy Spirit or, or know how that, or, or recognize the Holy Spirit? Because that can be kind of a tricky thing in, in our lives. Right, right. Well, I, one of the first things that comes to mind, Kyle, with that is, uh, and I love this, just the assurance that the Holy Spirit gives. Yeah. You know, that yeah. we are God's child, his yeah. son or his daughter. And, uh, you know, early on, uh, honestly, I had moments of doubting that. Mm. It just comes with sometimes being a young Christian. I yeah. Think. But uh, yeah, just the, the spirit's voice certainly won out. Yeah, uh, with that, and um, and then the other thing too, just um, boy, birthing in me a, an appetite for God's word mm. that certainly was not there as a dead person spiritually, yeah. right? Yeah, that all of a sudden, yes, uh, I'm wanting to be in God's word, and yeah, uh, I'm wanting to spend time with Him in prayer and share Him with others. Yeah, and so yeah, all those things I know were birthed and stirred in me. You yeah, by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit, I think one of the one of the the guys that shared in their baptism today, they said, you know, God sustains me. He doesn't give me chicken or steak, but He gives me His Word. And I was yeah. like, man, that is good. <laughs> Preach it. That is good. Um, and I, I loved I loved what you said there about how the Holy Spirit affirmed right your place with the Father. I think that's what we really see in verse sixteen. Again, it's a seven hundred year schism between historically disenfranchised. Uh, racially separated, ethnic tensions, <laughs> theological confusion, um, you know, where, where Jesus as a child, and as e- even John 4, it's so striking that he goes, we have to go through Samaria because they didn't go through Samaria. They literally added a week onto their journey to go down to Jericho and then back up to Jerusalem to avoid Samaria. There was so much hatred for that group of people. And yet, God is restoring them to life. And what I think is what verse 16, what Luke is trying to tell us in verse 16 is just that he wanted through the power of the spirit, this unique manifestation. They were already filled with the spirit because the spirit guarantees our eternal life. As John tells us in first John, 
Um, and and at the receiving of the gospel, we're filled with the Spirit. Uh, but I think what Luke wanted us to see there and what, what they needed in that moment was a unique manifestation of the Spirit through Peter and John for the assurance that they now belonged into this community of faith. And frankly, probably for Peter and yeah. John to go, wait a second, these people belong? <laughs> I thought we were just doing great in Jerusalem. And, and it's like, no, the words of Jesus, and Samaria and now to the ends of the earth. And so uh, the, just a unique work of God in that moment. But they had already received the Spirit and the, the assurance of salvation. But then this beautiful moment of the assurance of acceptance into this community, and this healing of disenfranchisement, and this healing of division that happened there. So I uh, just love the way that you put that. It's how the Spirit worked in your life and has given you assurance in salvation and drawn up that appetite for that word and shared Kip, thanks so much for, for joining us on the Beyond the Sermon podcast here today. Next week, we're going to meet the uh, meet Saul, who is going to become Paul. And uh, and so and he's going to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. So Paul is the first fourth place out, pastor of outreach. How does that make you feel? Uh, I feel like uh, I'm in good company. You're in good company. Amen to that. Amen to that. Well, we are, we're praying for you guys, and thanks for your questions here on the Beyond the Sermon podcast. Just love being able to create a dialogue around God's Word. We'll see you next Sunday when we meet Saul, who becomes Paul.